This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hello and welcome to Saver, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about aluminum foil. And what an endeavor it was. Oh my goodness, I gave myself too much homework again. It was, it's, oh heck. We had to talk about all kinds of things in this one. We really had to. (laughs) I kept having to remind myself, this is a food show. This is a food show. Stop it. (laughs) Yeah. And also, right, like like even within the realm of aluminum foil, there were a lot of offshoots that I was like, okay, we're going to need to stick to basically the roles of aluminum foil Right. For this one, because all of the other food grade purposes of aluminum foil are too much. It's too much. Yeah. I was already like, Annie, I'm about to have to describe the Bronze Age. I can't. I can't today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How did this happen? (laughs) It's been a long time since I've been like writing an outline and then just stopped and thought, wait, what am I talking about? Because this has nothing to do with food. (laughs) Um, but I want to talk about it because it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Was there any particular reason this one was on your mind? Nope. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Or if um. there was, I don't know. I guess I was like looking through our recent topics and going like, okay, like maybe uh, maybe some kind of implement. Um, mm-hmm. And then I was like, cast iron is too big. 
I don't yeah. want to talk about, but what about aluminum foil? That sounds <laughs> easier. Yeah, there's yeah. a very weary look on Lauren's face right now. That is, that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it was certainly, it was a difficult one to wrangle, but it was, there's a lot of interesting things in here. Um, and for me, like, a, there's... I think this list of ideas, because like when you suggest something, Lauren, a lot of times I'm like, ooh, what are my personal thoughts? And with this one, it immediately had a bunch of things. I was like, oh, this is interesting because most of them are not food related. Mm -hmm. um, but the British pronunciation, which we're going to talk about a little bit, I think. Yeah. Um, and then tin foil, and then tin foil hats, and then tin can being an in insult in Star Wars because that's where my mind is and I'm always kind of like how do uh -huh. they know about tin cans in Star Wars but okay um, <laughs> and I, I reuse aluminum foil like nobody's business and I think it kind of frustrates my mom when I go oh. home because I like hide it because she'll throw it away yeah so I kind of hide it and I'll bring it back out when we need it again um, I don't know if that's the best habit but it is a habit that I have uh, and also aluminum foil can really, really cut you. I had a friend like, oh, serious injury oh, goodness. from aluminum foil. So I'm always careful when I okay. am ripping it off and using it. For sure. The, the, the blade on, um, on aluminum foil and, uh, uh, saran wrap, um, plastic wrap containers. I have injured myself on both of those every time I've used them my entire life. <laughs> I don't know why curse. I'm using them. <laughs> Someone put a curse on you in a past life. Yeah. Something. Yeah. This is, it's like Sleeping Beauty, except uh, it's just mild insomnia and tiny little, tiny little pricks. Yeah. Mm. That's, I mean, that's pretty good revenge, I got to say. Is, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, this is one of our longer outlines. So I guess we should get to our question. I guess we should. Yes. Aluminum foil. What is it? Well, uh, aluminum foil is a type of metal, aluminum, that has been rolled out into extremely thin sheets that are both flexible and durable um, and is popular in food packaging and preservation because it's non-toxic and pretty impermeable, like it's oil-proof and waterproof and light-proof and air-proof when it's properly sealed. Even when it's, like, improperly sealed, it'll keep your leftover pizza okay in the fridge for a few days, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's also lightweight and inexpensive. Um, it's a heat-safe to a pretty good range of temperatures. Uh, it's, it's, like a, it's like, how did we even get so lucky? It's just amazingly practical and useful. Oh, aluminum. <laughs> how did we get so lucky <laughs> oh we'll talk extensively about that uh mm. luck had well a little bit to do with it but at any rate um okay so aluminum the element is not often found hanging out by itself in nature a lot of it is wrapped up in an ore called bauxite uh which is a uh, hydrated aluminum oxide this white crystal plus water and iron so to make aluminum foil, you generally mine a bed of bauxite ore, uh, refine it with a process called the Bayer process to separate out just the aluminum oxide, 
and then smelt that using the uh, Hall Haro process to get relatively pure aluminum. Um, for foil, like 99.8% plus pure. Yeah. Um, then uh, that is heat treated or annealed to make it workable. Um, more about a whole lot of that in the history section. I, I just threw a lot of words at you. We are going to explain <laughs> most of them later. Um, okay. To make this aluminum that you've then gotten through this process into foil, you just merely uh, roll the aluminum out thinner and thinner until it's foil. Um, this involves a lot of physics to get like the temperature and speed and pressure and stability of everything right. Um, and during this process, what you what you ultimately wind up with is going to be, in general, um, a, a pair of aluminum sheets that are being pressed together between a pair of rollers simultaneously. So like roller, aluminum, aluminum, roller. Sandwich. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. So that each sheet is in contact with a roller on one side and with its twin sheet on the other side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The side in contact with the roller comes out shiny, and the side in contact with the other sheet will be matte. So that one side shiny, one side matte thing is a natural part of the foil making process. Okay. I'm going to have to pay more attention next time I use aluminum foil. I don't know that I've ever noticed that, but okay. Okay. Some some types of foil are pressed in a way that makes both sides matte or they're textured in one way or another. So mm. it's possible that you're using a different kind of foil, but generally there's one shiny side and one matte side. Um, okay. And for the record, the shiny side does reflect more heat than the matte side. I, I don't know about anyone else listening, but whenever I wrap something in aluminum foil, if I want to keep the heat in, I put the shiny side in. And if I want to cook it low and slow, I might put the shiny side out. And right, it does make a difference, but you'd have to use like lab equipment to tell uh, that difference. There is mm -hmm. no practical difference happening in your kitchen. So, and I feel like this is a very short Lauren's Killjoy corner. Um, wrap your stuff with foil with whichever side you'd like facing in or out. It doesn't matter. <gasps> I know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. Lawlessness. Chaos. <laughs> I, this is like, I was the least prepared for this fact out of this entire <laughs> outline. <laughs> My whole life is a lie. No. No. <laughs> <sighs> Anyway, um, uh, yeah, and all that said, of course, a lot of aluminum foil is not sold in rolls. Uh, it's it's coated with or sealed to plastics or paper or whatever for use in lids and bubble packs and pouches and cartons and all kinds of things. Um, but right, today we're focusing on those sheets that have been rolled up or perhaps sold as sheets. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Food-related things and... Also, some other things because we couldn't resist, but mostly food-related things. <laughs> um, but what about the nutrition? Don't don't eat aluminum foil. I mean, it's in like it might cut up your insides a little. Don't eat alum Ow. aluminum foil. Yeah, don't don't do that. Oh, yeah, sounds terrible. It wouldn't be the oh. very worst if you swallowed swallowed a little. It'd probably just pass right through your system. It's non-toxic. 
Some of the stuff it's coated okay. with, you might not want in there. Don't need aluminum foil. There you go. Okay. Okay. Mm. All right. Well, uh, <laughs> we do have a couple numbers for you. Uh-huh. Aluminum is the third most common element found in Earth's crust. Yes, after only oxygen and silicon. Um, but those two account for like a lot of the primary stuff in Earth's crust. Um, aluminum is only about 8% of Earth's crust down to a depth of like 10 miles or so. However, just about every type of common rock contains at least a little bit. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2013, the European Aluminum Foil Association estimated it was producing over a million pounds of this product. Mm -hmm. uh, according to some sources, the aluminum market was valued upwards of $24 billion in 2020, with an expected compounded annual growth rate of 6% from 2021 to 2028. Whew. Mm -hmm. The Guinness record for the largest aluminum foil ball is from 1987, and it weighed 1,615 pounds. That's about 732 kilos. Is it, oh, does it still exist? Is this like one of those things you can go see? Oh, I'm not sure. I oh. don't think so. I it, Most <laughs> of the aluminum for it was donated by like a local aluminum plant and I strongly mm. suspect they recycled it. Yeah. But but I'm not but but I'm not don't quote me on that one. Darn it, Lauren, I'm going to quote you. <laughs> uh <laughs> I always find these records that are kind of older interesting cuz it's kind of like people wiped their hands and said They were like, no. "You have that one." Yep. <laughs> I'm not interested in recreating this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of recycling, the volume of recycled aluminum has doubled in the past decade and makes up for about 28% of recycled material scrap value. Uh, and there is a Seinfeld reference in here yeah. where Kramer and Newman basically try to make money by going to a state that offers more for turning in oh. aluminum cans for recycling and bottles for recycling using a Mother's Day mail truck situation of course it goes wrong and they make no money oh, uh, and yeah. probably lose some and i think the mail truck gets damaged but anyway uh, <laughs> I, I i will say that aluminum foil i there, there there are different places that are working on it but it's a lot harder to find a place that will accept aluminum foil for recycling than aluminum cans yeah. for a number of yes reasons. yeah yes but, uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, kind of going off of that, um, at the same time, aluminum production alone accounts for an estimated 1% of global emissions. So there is a lot going on in this conversation of recycling and sustainability and aluminum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but but all of that uh, is predicated on the fact that, that the aluminum industry is so huge. Um, and that's a relatively recent development. It is. And we're going to get into that in the history section. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. 
So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at (laughs) discoverpuertorico.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, yes, aluminum's history when it comes to human use is a bit mysterious because while it is plentiful, it hasn't been the easiest thing for us to isolate. Uh, And that was something that didn't really happen until around the Industrial Revolution. At the same time, though, an analysis done on a metal ornament found in the tomb of a third century Chinese military leader found that it was 85% aluminum. So how it was produced remains a mystery uh that was kind of the only like old old timey example i could find <laughs> right but aluminum compounds with other elements were well known and and have been used since ancient times uh like going back to ancient egypt and rome um a substance called in latin anyway um alumen um now i think known to be aluminum oxide was used in all kinds of applications, um, from preparing medicine to use in paints and dye setting, all sorts of stuff. Yes. Uh, 
But the road to isolating aluminum, while fairly short, has had a lot of bumps and twists and turns along the way. This was another one that was kind of, yeah, a lot to wrangle, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially because so much of it was outside the scope of a food podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, people figured out that aluminum oxide contained metal by the 1700s. But despite their best efforts, they couldn't figure out how to extract it. Right. Meanwhile, tin is an element that, uh, although much more rare, um, it only makes up some 0.001% of the Earth's crust. Uh, Tin is much more easily isolated and had been in use in combination with other metals in, in creating alloys with and in plating other metals for thousands of years. Like, a little bit of tin plus copper equals bronze, which, like, gave us the Bronze Age. Uh, Mm -hmm. Tin plating of iron gave us the first non-glass food can patent uh, in the UK in 1810, uh, though it was in use in food implements for a long time before that. Right, and that was one of the most interesting things in researching this one, is people get kind of (laughs) mad when you call aluminum foil tin Tin foil. Yeah. Yeah. So what about tinfoil? Records indicate that it was first in use by the late 18th century, where it was used for a wide range of things. In fact, in 1828, Thomas Edison used a cylinder that was wrapped in tinfoil for the phonograph. Um, And the tinfoil was far superior to materials previously used for the purpose of recording. It was able to not rip apart, basically, during this process. Yeah. As early as 1897, or perhaps even earlier in 1783, tin was being used as a filling material in dentistry. Um, it was very popular in food packaging, especially tin cans. Okay, but back back to aluminum. Right, okay. In 1808, a British chemist and physicist named Sir Humphrey Davy was experimenting with electrolysis and was able to successfully extract elements like boron, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and sodium. And he believed that the same thing was possible for aluminum, but he was never able to quite figure it out. And here is where the linguistic confusion of um, the American English aluminum versus the British English aluminium comes in. Because, okay, when Davy was first trying to isolate this metal, he, he called it alumium, um, kind of after the Latin um, alumin. He later shifted to aluminum, which American English writers picked up, but British English writers shifted to aluminium because it sounded more, and I quote, classical. Um, like more in line with like sodium and potassium. Aluminium. Aluminium. Okay. Yeah. And that is why, (laughs) that's why that is. That I've been tripping up this whole podcast, (laughs) even though I've never said aluminium in my life, but I know about it. So it's still (laughs) messing with me. I, I'm, I'm sorry that you're a British sleeper agent, Annie. I can't, (laughs) I, I can't do anything about that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> you think that's my word? Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, meanwhile, a discovery of a red rock in southern France in 1821 changed the aluminum landscape a bit. Uh, it was named bauxite, 
actor where it was discovered, and it was integral in aluminum production in the years to come. Uh, but there was still the issue of isolating aluminum. Mm-hmm. This issue remained unsolved until Hans Christian Ersted used potassium to heat aluminum chloride in 1825 in Denmark, uh, though the resulting sample was still impure, not quite totally pure. In 1827, German chemist Friedrich Wohler perfected the method by swapping out the potassium with sodium, allowing him to obtain pure aluminum. So again, even though aluminum was plentiful, pure aluminum was rare due to these challenges when it came to isolating it. Because of this, it was viewed as almost a precious metal and at one time may have been worth more than gold. Yeah, um, like after... After Davy like said, "Hey, this is this metal that's in this stuff," and people started working with it, it was decades before a process created even like marble-sized chunks of aluminum. Um, the first aluminum bars that were made were put on display at the 1855 Paris Exposition. <laughs> yeah, and legend has it that Napoleon would bestow honor upon guests with aluminum or gold silverware, and that he also believed it would be a huge boon in battle when it came to weapons and armor. And the six-pound aluminum cap on the Washington Monument was similarly seen as extravagant when the project was completed in 1884. And it was this thing that was widely reported on. And for many Americans, this was the first they'd heard of the material. And it was like, wow, how fancy. The future. Yep, exactly. Another name worth mentioning is that of Henri-Étienne Sinclair de Ville, a Napoleon-funded chemist who used electrolysis to extract pure aluminum in the mid-1800s, a process that would transform the commercial aluminum industry. His aluminum production increased by about 45 tons a year from 1856 to 1890. So, yeah, he really boosted, yeah, <laughs> he really yeah. boosted his, his production. Uh, aluminum first hit the wider commercial market around this time in 1856, and the public was in awe of how it looked like silver, but was lightweight and moldable. The first book we know of on aluminum came out in 1858, but the process of aluminum production wasn't totally ironed out yet. There have been quite a few innovations when it comes to commercializing aluminum foil. Mm -hmm. Charles Martin Hall figured out a way to make pure balls of aluminum in Ohio in 1886. And that same year, Paul Hérault figured out how to do it in France. Both learned about aluminum through their education and both sought to find an inexpensive and efficient way to isolate it and extract it on a large scale. They both got the idea to use the aluminum compound cryolite in a solution that was then given a shot of electricity that resulted in pure aluminum. Uh, thanks to things like this, the price of aluminum dropped from $12 a pound in 1880 to $0.20 a pound by 1930. Yeah, uh, the two men at first were rivals, fighting over a patent, but eventually became friends, according to some of the things I read. Yeah, and apparently they died the same year, in 1914, at the age of 51, both of them. Wow. Huh. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, so so this process that I mentioned above is the Hall-Arrow process. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and in 1888, Hall got together with a few others to set up a large aluminum smelter just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They called it the Pittsburgh Reduction Factory. In one year, they went from producing 22.5 kilograms or about 50 pounds a day to 240 kilograms or about 530 pounds a day. In 1907, they renamed themselves the Aluminum Company of America. Still exist. Still going. Oh, yeah. Yep. An Austrian chemist named Carl Joseph Bayer was able to extract alumina or aluminum oxide from bauxite using an alkaline solution in 1889. And... Yes, this is that Bayer process that I mentioned earlier. And together with that Hall-Erot process, uh, this made the economical extraction of aluminum possible. And both are still used to this day. Right. Um, and yeah, this is... Uh, every now and then you get an episode and you're like, food though, what? <laughs> um, but wait, there's other non-food things I want to talk about. Um, yeah. A sculpture created by Alfred Gilbert in Britain in 1893 is considered the first major artwork composed of aluminum. Okay. You, yeah. Uh-huh. A year or so later, aluminum also became integral in the U.S. railroad industry, which is food adjacent. Sure. Um, sure. Not long after that, it was being used to make cars. The Wright brothers used it for the crankcase of their plane in 1903. Also in 1903, the first foil made from aluminum was produced in France. Um, a similar process hit the United States within the next decade, where this new foil was used to first, uh, as I understand it, create leg bands for identifying racing pigeons. Apparently. Oh. <laughs> I, I know. Well, it's lightweight. It's bendable. This is, it's perfect. Racing pigeons. <laughs> I also <laughs> racing pigeons. Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. The first aluminum foil plant in the world opened in Switzerland in 1910. In 1911, Swiss chocolate company Tobler became the first to use aluminum foil for chocolate packaging. Um, it was being made in the United States uh, uh, on a on a more on like a plant level by 1913, and was soon being used for packaging products like Lifesavers and chewing gum. Mm-hmm. All this while, though, uh, tin was still the material of choice for lots of food packaging, um, which is why the term tin foil persists, because it was a foil before aluminum foil. This newfangled thing came onto the market, and people were just like, ah, oh, tin foil. Yeah, right. Um, and up until 1926, Americans were using sheets made of actual tin tin foil. Uh, yes, which were these industrial sheets of tin that became popular in packaging in the early 1900s for things like the linings of cigarette packs and as packing insulation. When compared to aluminum foil, though, tin foil was more expensive and less durable. Also, as you said, rarer. <laughs> so when aluminum foil became more available, pretty quickly replaced tin foil. Mm -hmm. War rationing of tin also helped push Americans away from tin and towards aluminum. But we used we used a specific date there, like 1926. So mm -hmm. what happened then? Oh, a couple things. Um, so another innovation in the aluminum industry took place when a Swiss inventor came up with a continuous rolling process for aluminum in 1920. 
This completely revolutionized the aluminum foil industry, and by 1926, aluminum had largely replaced tinfoil in packaging, largely thanks to a company you'll probably recognize. Okay. Okay, so let's step back a bit. In 1919, Richard R. Reynolds, the creator of Reynolds Wrap, Uh. (laughs) yes, that Reynolds, set up the U.S. foil company to provide candy and tobacco makers these wrappers for those items. As the price of aluminum foil continued to decrease, Reynolds used it in more and more of their products. By 1930, Reynolds was making $30 million in sales. With World War II on the horizon, the company knew demand would increase. So they started mining bauxite, or yes, aluminum ore, in 1940 in Arkansas. And in 1941, they opened their first aluminum plant in Sheffield, Alabama. In 1947, they launched Reynolds Wrap Aluminum Foil. Okay, and this doesn't quite square with a popular company legend that they like to tell. Uh, Because, yes, a lot of this early aluminum foil uh, had not quite been approved for use in cooking. But the company line is that that changed in 1948 when a Reynolds staff member reached for some aluminum foil in desperation from Thanksgiving in order to hold his turkey. And it really (laughs) worked, which led the company to push for it in American homes. Okay. Uh, (laughs) I've heard a couple different versions of that, but essentially it's kind of like a staff member and a turkey and aluminum foil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's for, for sure. Like the industrial non-food applications for this stuff are it, abound um, mm, mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, I didn't, I should have, I should have done a saver list. Oh, heck. Oh, well, I've got a couple for you. <laughs> okay. All right. I got a couple of things. Although I will say, my mom is a big, you put the tin, oh no, I did it, the aluminum foil on the last 30 minutes of cooking a turkey or something on Thanksgiving. Like, it's a whole, she's got a system. Oh. Um, yeah, she's got a system. It's, everyone <laughs> does, and I, I'm backing away from that one. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and yes, yeah, stepping back a bit, in 1931, the Empire State Building in New York City became the first building to use a substantial amount of aluminum in its design. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, yes, this is a food show, so I, I kept getting sidetracked with these kind of facts. <laughs> uh, so the aluminum can was invented in the U.S. in 1958 or 59, allegedly first used by beer maker Coors. By 1967, both Coca-Cola and Pepsi were selling their products in aluminum cans. Yeah, and you can see our episode on canning for more about that. Yes, yes, indeed. And I think on but soda as well, right? I yeah. think we did talk about it in soda. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Options, options mm-hmm. galore. Uh, but I suppose this brings us to the tin foil hat. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, again, maybe... We should talk about this because it's a food show, but I'm just so interested. And it yeah, came sure. Up, so. No, I love it. Yeah. So this is something that is featured in The X-Files, Science, Futurama, The Simpsons, and Better Call Saul, among many other pop culture examples. And if you're unaware, this is uh, the idea that wearing a hat made of tin foil will keep out any radio signals or the like that the wearer believes may involve mind control or perhaps mind reading. Sort of synonymous with conspiracy theorist 
uh, people looking into this uh, think that the history of this idea goes back further than a lot of us might imagine to 1927, notably after aluminum foil was really starting to take off. Yeah, uh, that one lines up impressively well. Um, right? And yeah, uh, although, yeah, again, um, the name tinfoil for metal packaging foils persisted long after tin was out of use persists today with people who ostensibly never used actual tin made tin foil right i was thinking about that and you know there's a lot of reasons why it's not worth your time perhaps an emotional effort um (laughs) to pick apart these types of things but i was like well, does aluminum foil not work and tinfoil does and you're just using aluminum foil because you don't know it's not tinfoil? <laughs> anyway. Ooh. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, it's not there, worth there's, it. there's not research on that that I'm personally aware of. There, there is some research. But first, uh, let, let's go into this super interesting 1927 uh, yeah. tinfoil hat uh, generation. Yes. Yes. So, um, 1927 is the year that a short story called The Tissue Culture King was published. And it's written by Julian Huxley, who is also an evolutionary biologist and eugenicist and related to other people you've probably heard of. Aldous Huxley, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the story follows a scientist who loses his way in a jungle and ends up getting captured by a local tribe. However, he convinces them he's worth keeping around with his magical ability to grow tissue samples from their king. Still, he is kept under house arrest, forced to use his abilities to serve a corrupt leadership in his mind. Um, Restless, he decides to use his, quote, perverted intellectual ambitions uh, for mind control. He manages to hypnotize the king and escapes wearing a, quote, cap of metal foil that is immune to telepathic suggestion. The second he removes it, though, he is overpowered. Here's a quote from the narrator. I begged and implored him to use his reason, to stick to his decision, and to come on. How I regretted that in our desire to discard all useless weight, we had left behind our metal telepathy-proof head coverings. Um, And it goes on to end with this kind of question, asking the reader if they are, quote, those who labor because they like power or because they want to find the truth about how things work. Wow. Yeah. And I, I will put a caveat. I have not read it. I read many summaries about it. Um, but I think that seems to be the general vibe. But yeah. just to put that out there. Huh. Um, okay. I I will say that this concept may have caught Huxley's attention and, and others' attention down the road due to the actual scientific concept of using metal shielding to, to, to block electromagnetic waves of various kinds. Um, this technology is often called Faraday shielding, after a guy who proved out a lot of the ideas around it in the 1830s, one Michael Faraday. You can see Faraday fields or, or Faraday cages at work in like everything from the wire layer inside your electronics cables to the lining of your microwave oven, to um, to the special rooms that are built for, for MRI machines. Um, very basically, how this works is if you, if you put a cage or a shield of conducive metal around something, um, a lot of the electromagnetic waves that hit it will be distributed 
across that metal and thus will not pass through it. So you can shield whatever's inside. Oh, okay. 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 And <laughs> but yeah, it became this entire like like kind of pop culture phrase for like, oh, let's all put our tinfoil hats on. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And like surprisingly or perhaps not surprisingly, <laughs> there's actually been a lot of scientific research. Yes. Into this tinfoil <laughs> hat thing, um, a somewhat serious slash somewhat teasing MIT study conducted in 2005 is the big one you'll find. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a study on three types of tinfoil hats. And it found that they amplified electromagnetic frequencies. Or, okay, they did uh, block most frequencies, but they amplified electromagnetic waves in a couple of bands. Um, the ones allocated by the government for um, for mobile and broadcast satellite communication and those for some uh, aeronautical and satellite navigation systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very suspect electromagnetic waves if we've got our <laughs> tinfoil hats on. <laughs> yes. Uh, the study concludes with this. It requires no stretch of the imagination to conclude that the current helmet craze is likely to have been propagated by the government, possibly with the involvement of the FCC. We hope this report will encourage the paranoid community to develop improved helmet designs to avoid falling prey to these shortcomings. Uh, Concludes strongly tongue-in-cheek with we we should should caveat. Yeah. um, Oh, goodness. I, uh... That is, you know, this is the the area of a of a different show. Y'all can go mm-hmm. see stuff they don't want you to know for yep. more on fringe theories like this one. Um, <laughs> I similar to how I was backing away from the conversation about how to properly tent a turkey. I'm all back away from this one. I'm like, no, nope. they're on the same tier. <laughs> they're on the same level. I'm like, okay. I don't want to mess with that. <laughs> You're gonna put a tid foil hat on the turkey, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. kind of what you're doing. And if oh. you're, you know. Oh, I haven't thought about it in this way. You're you're <laughs> opening my mind. You're expanding my horizons, Lauren. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this has been quite a journey, and I've got a lot to think about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, um, may- maybe, you know, maybe I just miss working on um, other shows that I've done for the network, like uh, like Forward Thinking and Tech Stuff. But, mm-hmm. but I... I love these episodes where we get to go into not a food <laughs> and talk about the background and the innovations and the technologies. It's super fascinating to me. Yeah. It cracked me up when you, I think you sent me a message and it was something like, I've got to go into metallurgy for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we aren't experts in metallurgy. I'll just no. put that out there. No. We try our best. (laughs) Yeah, this is, I I do feel a lot shakier on this territory than I do on like (laughs) basic biology. So, (laughs) so I, so I hope, I hope I've gotten everything right. If, if y'all happen to work in any of these fields and you can, uh, can tell us better or differently, Mm -hmm. then please do write in. Yes, please do. And in the meantime, we do have some listener mail for you. We do, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsors.
This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. The big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson, rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go. And I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for US citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. <laughs> And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And we're back with Frequencies. (laughs) I think when I went through my weird microwave phase where I was just putting stuff in microwaves you weren't supposed to put in there, I put a little (laughs) foil in there. It was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll spark. That'll it sure mm-hmm. did. It sure did. Did you did you ruin your microwave? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a long night of putting stuff in there, though. But the grape, the damn grape, blew the door off the microwave. Oh um, wow! And then I put the door back and continued my experiments. Wow! It was like That's one in tenacity, the morning, dude. And my parents, when they woke up and the microwave was not working, I was like, I... I have no idea. I don't know what to tell you. I I, I had to do these experiments. No, I was like, 
I had to do these experiments. How old were you at this time? <laughs> I think I was in sixth grade. I was okay, now that's a fair. I feel like that's a good that's a good age. If it had been younger, I would have been like, "What were you doing unsupervised?" If you had been older, I would have been like, "You might have should have known better." Um, <laughs> oh, good. I but was that's kind like of... right in that area of like curious. Hmm. Hmm. My friend, what could I do? She had done a whole report on stuff you shouldn't put in the microwave. So of course, I had to go home and try all the things. <laughs> I had like a pillow I was holding in front of me for wow. when the door blew off. Oh, yeah. that's so good. Hey, see, all right, all right. You had some safety precautions. In I did. There. Some that's... safety precautions were in place. Heck. Right. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Sheldon wrote and weighed in on the Putin, Putin pronunciation. First, in French, or at least Quebec French, the word poutine is pronounced the same as the ruler Putin. Um, keeping that in mind, remember Freedom Fries? How France's opposition to the Iraq War had some restaurant owners changing the name of French Fries to Freedom Fries. Well, a restaurant in Drummondville, Quebec, is doing something similar with its poutine. poutine. Um, and this place is arguably the inventor of the poutine. Um, they are now saying that they are the inventor of frite fromage sauce. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's strange. So many of these episodes we talk about, including this one, as a lot of innovation comes from wartime or strife. Yeah. Uh, and it can be difficult and it would come like from a very privileged space. But like mm-hmm. it can be difficult to talk about like aluminum foil when all this stuff is going on. <laughs> Yeah, 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 it is surreal. I, I mean, as as you know, a lot of the conversation online, um, uh, and 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 in person, um, is about this right now. But it's really surreal going about your daily existence as though, you know, we we didn't just re-enter a cold war. Yeah, um, that's very weird. Or I mean, you know, it's you could you could argue with me about my definition there of entering and cold war, but. Who? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just this 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 nuclear threat. I haven't felt this way since the nineteen eighties. <laughs> I thought I had left this behind in my in my youth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's you know, food is certainly not not impacted by those things. And, and oh, you sure, know, you see these examples of that uh, everywhere. Um, but yeah, it feels really trite to say, but you know. We are thinking of people who are impacted by this, and it is on their minds. Yeah, yeah. This and any other number of crises mm-hmm. that are going on, and I mean, I I feel like the the best that we can that we can do personally is, uh, you know, keep on trucking, keep on providing, hopefully, a bright spot in mm-hmm. y'all's days, and hopefully, cover some subjects that bring um, uh, that bring to light some. Some difficult topics sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. We did, we did talk about that in our poutine episode, the, the mince pronunciation. So that's interesting. Um, thank you. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, Brett wrote, I laugh because then just moved, moving on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Brett wrote, this is my first time emailing in. I'm a longtime fan listening in since the second or third episode of Food Stuff. Uh, you two seem like close friends by now, considering you put your fun personalities on display in each episode. I I think we are. I think we are. Yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say, I would hope so. I uh, would too. <laughs> Uh, Brett continued, I find myself laughing and also shaking my head with a smile, often while listening in. Between the pop culture references and the mixture of history and science, your flavor of nerd is right up my alley. Speaking of flavor, you know, I had to make a pun. I was listening to my podcast feed when your episode on root beer came on. Uh, sorry for being so backlogged, but I swear I'll catch up to the current episodes eventually. No worries. Uh, and I felt compelled to write in because of some fun flavor and plant info I came across over the last few years. You did mention that one of the main flavors of root beer nowadays is the wintergreen, which is absolutely true. In fact, most old-timey recipes of root beer would have been much more of an anise flavor, but I was shocked to learn that wintergreen is not even a root. While all root beers tend to be a mixture of flavors, it seems that sometime in the past, pretty much all modern root beer recipes switched to being predominantly wintergreen. But what in the hecking heck does wintergreen actually taste like? When I was a kid, I probably only ever saw the name wintergreen as a chewing gum flavor. So when I did a little reading, I found that wintergreen is a common evergreen landscape plant that grows red berries, which are not generally eaten. Um, I'm currently building a food forest around my house, and I knew I would want to include wintergreen, if nothing more than as a beautiful landscape addition. I planted a couple in the ground a few years ago, which came to me with some berries on them. I had to taste them to see for myself, and I will report that they did not taste very good at all. Uh, not sweet, almost bitter, but with a very familiar root beer hint. I was shocked, mind blown. Since I planted them, I still haven't gotten more berries, but I imagine that they will become established and then produce more than I would know what to do with. Maybe then I will consider making something with this odd and interesting flavor profile. Keep up the awesome work you two do. Yeah, I, I love a couple things about this. First... The food forest. I'm yeah. really into this idea. <laughs> oh, I love food gardens. Oh, this is great. Yes, me too. Uh, I I really want one. That's like a goal that I have. Yeah, uh, same. Yeah. And this is interesting because wintergreen I always thought was kind of a, a fake. Not fake. Fake's not the right word. But like a... Alternate to mint. <laughs> yeah. Or like a fancier name that companies put on something to be like, ooh, it's wintergreen. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, it's not mint. It's, ooh, it's green and wintery. Exactly. Winter yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I'm not sure if I clocked. Maybe I talked about it in our root beer episode. Who knows? Um, <laughs> you might know. <laughs> you There's no way of it. knowing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, oh, goodness. Now I want to. Okay. All right. More stuff well, to track down and try. Our savor, bizarre <laughs> savor feast is. Uh, we got a lot of things we gotta we gotta work through. So only only getting weirder. Yeah, I like it. I'm I'm as I said, I'm both tentative, anxious, and excited. Like I, I both triple things. That's oh yeah. Things. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I think it'll be fun. Same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, um, in the meantime, thank you to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. 
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.